Dr. Medea here for our another bi-weekly episode of our podcast, Fixing Healthcare from the Trenches. So today I'm very pleased to have a fellow hand surgeon, maybe uh, I think the first orthopedic hand surgeon we've had on the show. And uh, we have a lot in common in terms of private practice and I think our approach to care and in particular patient education, which we'll talk about particularly through social media. So Dr. Nick Pappas is uh, joining us. He did his undergraduate work at Princeton. Um, I'll, uh, I'll try to overlook that, Nick. I'm a Cornell guy. But I know, I've been to Ithaca many times, though. It's, it's a very, yeah, it's a very dreary town. But you it's spend very time cold. I, I used to pitch there in the winter. Right. <laughs> it was really so Nick was a, a, was a pitcher for Princeton, yeah. um, then went to, uh, did, went to a medical school at Vanderbilt, went to University of Pennsylvania for orthopedics, a lot of a lot of great exposure to hand surgery, and then went back to Vanderbilt to do his fellowship. And he's currently on um, the uh, adjunct faculty at both Tulane and LSU. And he started uh, his own, really his own practice called NOLA, right? New yeah. Orleans. New Orleans NOLA. hand surgery, yeah. NOLA hand surgery. Yeah. Um, and you have some offices in Metairie and Slittle. But uh, bottom line is you are uh, Potentially a dinosaur, Nick. Both of us are. So welcome, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks, I appreciate it. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully not not dying off like the dinosaurs though. I, I just started <laughs> two years ago, so I'm hopeful to at least make it make it a few years. Um, but uh, I use your practice as an example of what what I can become potentially. So I kind of like to see what you're doing sometimes. And I'm like, okay, this is where I need to go. Well, th this is the issue where we need more collaboration between us as colleagues. And one of the things uh, in, in chapter four of my book, right, which is entitled Cats, Colleagues, and Collaboration, yeah. we all know it's very difficult. Part of that, I think, are the challenges that we're all facing. But it's uh, it's discussions like this that we need to have more of, whether it be in the hospital hallway or at a, at a uh, hand surgery meeting like we had in uh, Toronto. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to go. You know, I, I I just started this kind of getting busier with my own practice, and I'm like, every time I spend a day away, I'm like, wait a second, like, yeah. can I afford to do this yet? Like, um, but, well, that, um, that that will change uh, yeah. for the good. I I, I hope. Yeah. Uh, so 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 tell us. I mean, what made you? And I can share a little bit about what happened with myself. But what I mean, what made you go on your own at this point? At at, at a pretty early point, right? You're, you know, 10, 12 years into hand surgery practice. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I finished residency in 2011. So yeah, like 12 or 13 years in, um, I had been employed as an employee with a hospital system, even with the private practice group, I was essentially an employee. And during COVID, I think a lot of people realize this, that, you know, your employer may not always have your best interest in mind. And, you know, you reach a point where, you know, I was tired of checking to see when I could take vacation or, you know, always asking, okay, you know, what, what, what's the plan for, for partnership or for this or owner? And you just reach a point where you're tired of kind of just answering to everybody else and having to, you know, wait and see what they tell you your life is going to be. And I just was like, all right, I'm tired of this. I'm just going to take a chance and, you know, I have a decent patient base. I'm just going to, you know, make my own, you know, start my own practice and see what happens. And that's what I decided to do. Which is which is uh, extremely uncommon, right? Because we are not able to share the overhead with others. Right. So it is a big. But in terms of, yes, uh, you know, professional satisfaction, and, and tell us a little bit about about patient satisfaction. I mean, well, what's I that mean, like? 
when I was employed, they always are going to tell you, like, you need to see 40 or 50 patients a day or 60 patients a day. We're going to space them out every five minutes or whatever time frame they're going to give you. And you're kind of told to kind of be in this mold and you got to kind of push through the day. And sometimes, you know, you know, patients, sometimes visits don't just last five minutes. I mean, sometimes you need to spend a little longer with the post-op patient or, you know, patients that have a lot of questions. And so I felt kind of like stuck in this little rut where I had to kind of listen to someone else telling me how to manage my patients. And I decided, you know, to go on my own and have a little more independence. And I found that patients, a lot of times when they're in these big hospital systems that have doctors who are, you know, RVU based, and they're trying to see a certain number of patients in a day, and they're told you have to see this many patients, they feel like a number, you know, like they don't feel like there's individualized care. So most of the patients that come to see me, I mean, I mean, I tell people, you can look at my Google reviews, it's all the same. It's, you know, he spent a lot of time with me. We went over the x-rays, explained the surgery. I met the surgeon. I mean, a lot of times people say they never even meet the surgeon. Yeah. Like, how do you know if you feel like comfortable with them doing your surgery? Right. So that's the majority of my patient interactions. And I found that just, you know, having in a given day, you know, 20 or 30 good patient interactions, as opposed to seeing 60 patients where half of them felt like, wow, he, he seemed pretty rushed. I've had a much better response and patients have been happier and I've been happier, um, you know, basically taking more time for each patient and making sure they all have a good experience. And, um, you know, it's, that's part of what I'd like about well, having practice. Let, let's not overlook that comment. You said that you're happier. I mean, I, I would think that a patient wanting, you know, coming to see us would want their physician to be, you know, not stressed, professionally gratified, right? You know, being on top of the literature and on, on the, and when you are not stressed with this sort of RVUs, which I, I, right. I relative value units, yeah. you know, patients don't understand that, but they do understand when you and your staff really treat them like they're the most important person at that moment, which they are. Right. And I've been able to do things like um, one of my talking points was going to be about artificial intelligence and like computerized, mm -hmm. you know, systems. And some of the hospitals, I mean, you have to type a note basically while the patient is in the room, type it. And so you're not really paying attention. You're typing, you're, you're focused yeah. on your computer. You have a scribe that's doing that. I don't really like that in my practice. I basically have eye contact with the patient pretty much at all times. Sometimes I'll have my medical assistant, you know, type in things as we're talking, but like, that's one of the things that I've really kind of noticed that patients really respond to is they feel like even if it's for 15 minutes, you have given them your full attention and they don't feel like you're distracted, dictating or doing something else. And that's what I like the ability to at least say, okay, I want to have my practice be like this because I know patients like this. And in the long run, they're going to have a better experience. I'm going to connect better with them and the whole visit will be much better, um, you know, than it, than it had been in the past where you're stuck behind a computer screen, clicking, trying to get the charges in before it's just, it's too much. Um, so so I mean, this is, Granted, there's a, a you know a lot of lay public is watching this because I think we're all concerned about healthcare costs. But I think for the uh, the physicians out there, even if they're you know they're not so young, it, it's not it, it it it's reasonable to to change shift gears. Um, I had kind of co-founded a, a hand surgery group. We grew to five. It was a, a very strong group, all very good clinicians. But at one point, some there were some changes, and um, you know I went off on my own. Mm -hmm. And so I've been 15 years now on my own. And now I'm about to uh, bring on an associate. I'm very excited about oh, wow. that. Oh, wow. A hand surgeon? Another hand yeah, surgeon? Yeah, another hand surgeon who, who uh, actually had, uh, you know, same uh, 
same training in terms of fellowship in Pittsburgh. Okay. So we have a lot of the same philosophy, but this is going to be a big change for him if he comes on board because mm-hmm. he's used to that sort of, um, you know, hospital-based practice. So I think I, I'm hoping that he uh, he really finds it to be a, a, a pleasant relief. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is very different. It's funny in academics, you know, you get taught a certain way, the way that academic doctors interact with their patients. I mean, it's somewhat similar to private in some ways, but I found that, you know, as a private practice, you really have to connect with the patients. You can't kind of be this like, oh, I've written 50 papers. I'm a famous, like, come see me and get my, you know, let me do your carpal tunnel. Like, you can't be like that. You need to like connect and you need to have patients feel like, look, you are giving them your full attention. You really, you know, you care about them, which you do, but it's a very different environment than the academic setting. I, at least I've found to, to be successful in the private. Well, and, and, and the people like yourself and I, you know, I've, I've, I've been doing this for now for a few years is, uh, you know, educate your patients, right. But not just in the office, you met that we have a, a great tool now, which we should talk about. Mm-hmm. I mean, social media, yes, there, are, there can be problems with it, et cetera, but it's an incredible tool to educate patients. And you, you've been amazing with that, Nick. So yeah, I, tried it. Kind of, I used it initially to help my practice get advertising. And then right. I started to realize, you know, I, I used I used to have a resident at all times with me. So I was always teaching. And then when I have my own private practice, it's become a little more difficult to have a, a resident, you know, from Tulane or LSU. So I just do the teaching to social media. And I learn stuff sometimes, especially about how the healthcare system works. That's why I like your social media, because you know, stuff like pre-approvals or I saw you posted about Medicare recently. I had a post about Medicare. You know, yeah. they're, they're proposed to drop another like three and a half percent next year. And I'm like, you know, look, this is yeah. what's happening. You got doctors like us that are speaking out. Doctors that work for a hospital may not even realize that yeah. Medicare is dropping their rates. And then wait till they get their, they check their salary two years from now. They're going to see that it's, right. it's going to eventually hit them. So I feel like we're on the front lines, you know, yeah. and we're, I'm not beholden to any hospital. Like, I mean, I don't, if I say, you know, this isn't going well, I don't have an administrator calling me the next day. Like I'm on my own, you're on your own. And so we can yeah. kind of like be the, 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 the sounding the alarm basically of, Hey, this is happening. Other doctors, you better wake up because it's going to hit you in a year or two. And, you know, it's going to, you know, it's going to decrease your job satisfaction. The fact that you're working more, making less and your patients yeah. feel dissatisfied because you're having to spend, you know, you're only given a certain amount of time, basically. They want you to see 60 patients in a day, five minutes each patient, and, you know, type, spend half the visit typing away so that you can get all the, you know, details in before they leave. And they leave kind of feeling dissatisfied. It's like, so I'm, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I'm, so, you know, we're the ones that need to tell them, hey, this is time to act is now. So we're on the front lines with that in terms of the economics and practice. But uh, what, I, what I've noticed, though, some of the, your posts are, are really, um, I, you know, I, I like them because I really learned something that you're, you're 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 presenting a certain viewpoint on a certain pathology. I mean, how how what's the feedback from your patients? Do a lot of them get to see that and learn? They, they I sometimes get patients just because they saw a video I did on like yeah. um, hypermobility. It's not even something that's not even operative sometimes. Yeah. Um, or you know what's funny? You posted one of these too. I never actually saw a live distal biceps rupture. You know, I mean, until social media, people are filming their workouts now. So you're seeing these like patella tendon ruptures, like real time or Achilles tendon ruptures. Like, I mean, when Aaron Rodgers tore his Achilles, people were all like, you know, yeah, I usually see the calf bounce. Like, I mean, do you ever remember seeing a live Achilles? I just knew it sounded like a gunshot and it hurt, but I never saw one live. So like, 
So social media, and even how these fractures occur, I mean, seeing how like a skateboarder falls and they hit their scaphoid first or some of these knee injuries you'll see on like, you know, gymnasts, whatever. It's actually kind of showed me, wow, these injuries are, you know, it's like when you learn about fractures, you know, the displacement is way more than you're going to see on that x-ray when it initially happens. Right. And so by seeing these happen, I'm like, oh, I'm learning as we go. Like, oh, that's why. That's why there's so much spelling. It, you know? it brings the uh, the interest to the patient because they, they they that that part they can relate to. They can't ne- always relate to what we're talking about, but now we tie it together. So I yeah. think I think it's a great tool. Obviously, yeah. when the when a celebrity, I mean, tomorrow I'm doing a, a live uh, a Dupuytren's fasciectomy. I do a classic Brunner incision. I mean, yeah. I've done a lot of different things. I've done McCash, but um, for a straightforward pretendinous cord. But the reality is the public doesn't know about Dupuytrens until, uh, you know, John Elway. Yeah, I, I like those commercials. Are you yeah. using Diaflex much? I, I've had some friends not be as big of a fan lately, but I've used it in the past for like about 10 years. Well, I, I, I think there are indications for everything. So I think it's important for us physicians to, to, to be facile. And occasionally you get a patient who insists upon something. And yeah. as long as it's not completely contraindicated, you know, I try to, uh, I try to comply with the patient's needs. Yeah. So, so no, patient education is huge. So, uh, you know, yeah, bravo to that. that. They like that. Like patients sometimes just, I think just seeing that your doctor is friendly and educated and can talk draws them in to see me. I have patients that I don't even know. Like, Oh, I, I saw a, you popped up on my feed and then, you know, I decided I want to come see you, you know, it just seemed like you, you know, cared and you had a teaching interest and I wanted to kind of, you know, just come see you for my carpal tunnel, something, you know, yeah. even unrelated to what I was posting about. Oh, that's great. So what so what would you say? I mean, we we're 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 both kind of rebels in that in that area, right? Uh, but what what would you say overall? I mean, what are three um I asked all the guests, right? What yeah. what are give me the top three very succinctly, yeah. top three initiatives to lower healthcare costs? Well, to lower costs, I mean, well, first of all, I think that to help the whole system, doctors should unite together, like us talking here. Right. I think employed doctors, you know, there's, I'm seeing it in the residents. They are unionizing. And I think that's going to carry over into like young, younger doctors are going to be unionized. And they need to tell hospitals like, look, this is what we can do to improve patient care and potentially lower costs. Like right. focus on things like preventive medicine. They just need to get their voices heard and be not be afraid. Like I know Kaiser just had a strike recently. Yeah. I'm not saying yeah. the doctors should strike, but like they should use some leverage to get their voices heard because doctors, yeah, we should be the quarterbacks, like you say, of the healthcare system. We should be the ones pushing for things that we know are going to help our patients and potentially, you know, lower cost. If we want to get a preventative test, like I actually, I, I can't even get a vitamin D level ordered or without get a vitamin D level covered for like certain insurances. And that's stuff that's preventative. I mean, it, you just, it's a, it's a, sometimes I think the doctors don't get enough of their opinion heard because we just kind of are just focused on seeing patients and that can kind of drive up the cost. I think artificial intelligence, I know you've talked about this too. I foresee a world in my clinic and I'm looking at it now where I just have a phone that I leave out that that picks up our conversation that basically does the note, does the billing, even submits the bills, you know, to whatever insurance companies. And I don't have to have three or four people in my office typing away all day, trying to submit the right codes to Humana, the right codes to Cigna, things get rejected, bounce back. So I, I see a world where artificial intelligence can take away all of that 
kind of bureaucracy, which is a lot of our healthcare dollars. I read somewhere it's 33% of our healthcare dollars. And I know you say it's 20% of our GDP. So yep. that is a lot of money spent. So collaboration, which we're, we're, we're doing here, right? Yep. Um, the use of AI, right, to, to automate uh, processes that we that we yeah. can say so that we can do what we're we're really best at. So In number three, insurance company reform. You kind of mentioned it. I don't want to steal your thunder, but like things okay. like getting preauthorizations for every surgery I do. At this point, I mean, sometimes the the, the insurance companies don't even know what the procedure really is. How many people know what a one two pedicle of Zeidenberg is? for a scaphoid non-union yet right. you know they're going to ask for my office note to review that to see if a vascularized graft is indicated <laughs> like who even knows that i mean that, that barely even other orthopedists maybe know that so why are we spending our time i mean i went to the, we, we did 10 years of training after high school to or after after college to after college yeah. become a hand surgeon 14 years total and I still am getting permission slips for every time I want to do a carpal tunnel release. No one even knows, you know, the details of that that's in these insurance companies and what the true indications are. I mean, you know, they could read a book, but that I want to, I just, just want, I'd love to get away from that and then yeah. go from there. I think that's what that most physicians realize that is biggest headache for us, but could be one of the biggest uh, money savers. In fact, when I want to do a vascularized bone graft for scaphoid non-union, yeah. a Zeidenberg graft, I, I want to call Carlito Zeidenberg directly on his WhatsApp <laughs> in Buenos Aires. I just saw yeah. him. I just saw him at, a, I forgot where, an internet. Said, I, didn't see, I know the names. I'm younger, so I, never, I didn't realize they're still around. I know Orbe oh, is wow. still around. Uh, yeah, so. his son is a hand surgeon now. But, but see, that's who we should be speaking to about whether a certain operation is indicated. I'll call Carlos and say, Carlos, do you think your graft is ideal for this? You know, this mid-waist non-union with, yeah. you know, it, 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 it just wastes oh, so our time and it, it increases the cost because my medical staff will spend yeah. an hour dealing with like a denial. Yeah. And the worst is sometimes you get approval and then they'll deny it. Have you had that happen where you get approval oh. and then they deny it on the back end? You're like, wait a second. Well, that, that, just, that's, that's the Stephen King part of my book. Is, is Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I, I just don't understand the pre-approval then denial after the surgery. It's like. So that so the my so here so here are my three. Um, um, I say oversight, not authorization or pre-approval. Oversight. So in other words, we're not infallible, right, Nick? We you know absolutely. We should should have people you know looking and saying, hey, Doctor Pappas is is scoping every single person with wrist pain who comes in, right? I mean, then then you look into that, but you don't want to have a barrier, a hurdle on every step of the way. Because it's not just surgery. You you need you need the authorization for this imaging study. You need it for then therapy afterwards. Yeah, right? no, it just adds oh, up. It's a lot so of number science. two would be, and this is a big one. Number two, because you were talking about the Zeidenberg graft, and I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna let Carlos know that we brought yeah. him up. Uh, right clinician at the right time. We we have to get away from this concept that saving money is is sending and making sure that that our primary care colleagues have to see every patient before they get to us, the specialist. They don't have time for that. The primary care physician's job is to take care of our overall health, hopefully preventive, take care of chronic, uh, take care of chronic illness. They don't have time to see somebody with wrist pain. Yeah. Also, or, there's a shortage of them. Or exactly, or expertise. So, so right clinician at the right time will save money. And the third one is what, what you've been fantastic at, um, is patient education. The more patients know the better 
this will be for our healthcare system. It will ultimately save dollars. And, and yeah. fortunately, social media is really a very inexpensive way of doing that. So, so bravo yeah. to you. And it's a way to kind of cut through the media because, and, and you've seen this, I think sometimes things get shadow banned, you know, like where your videos like, you know, are posted. And then like one of the videos you posted, we couldn't comment on like your initial video. Um, and it was weird. I've seen that happen on videos on other platforms where, you know, it may be something like it may be a sponsor that, you know, doesn't like that message. And so oh. that's another thing that, um, yeah social media, like, even though we can kind of get censored a little bit, it's still better than, you know, relying on the traditional media to report, you oh. know, like I reported on, you know, how much pharmaceutical yeah. companies spend on doctors or sorry, spend on uh, Congress every year yeah. to have their agenda heard. And, you know, it's $233 million a year. So, I mean, it's not small. Well, you're, you're, you're not going to hear that in popular media, unfortunately, yeah. because um, there, there, you know, there, there's uh uh, I, I think the days of sort of investigative journalists, um, a lot of that's passed. So I'm, I yeah. really put out the challenge for somebody to, to say, what's going on here with healthcare? Let's take an interest. Hopefully the next debate, which will be right here in Miami, right down the street from me, I think it'll be at Univision. It's little, I can literally walk there from my practice near Miami International Airport. And hopefully that Republican debate, there will be discussion about yeah. healthcare. Is DeSantis, does DeSantis will be there? Um, he should be, yes. Okay. You know, we, we will see. Uh, yeah. But, you know, stay tuned because uh, hopefully maybe I can get DeSantis on here. Uh, question yeah, he's is, a Yale guy. You know, we actually played baseball against each other. He was oh, in okay. Yale. He was a shortstop. I was a pitcher at Princeton. He's a couple years older than me. But he's a Yale guy. I know you're Cornell, so um, – but he's a – yeah. Well, I, you know, he was in, uh, he was a, a JAG at attorney, right, with the in the military. So I yeah. know one of it who a, a, a gentleman who was running for uh, governor of California, very sharp guy. He's friends with him. So yeah. you know, at some point, yeah, we we just need to get the politicians engaged. But I I have had zero luck with that. But that doesn't mean I'm going to stop trying. I know you're going to keep trying. I keep trying. I I think it's. I was telling my friends about this. I think it's almost going to take an event, you know, like a black swan event where. Something happens, you know, somebody's waiting to get pre-approval for, you know, I know you were waiting for a fingertip amputation, but, you know, it might be something, heart bypass, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, the patient doesn't do well as a result. And then they're going to backtrack and realize, well, okay, this yeah, was. You know, un unfortunately, our society, you know, it takes, you know, whether it be John Elway, but it takes a celebrity and, and yeah. which is kind of sad. But I mean, you you know, I talk in the. My book about the Libby Zion case, which I was caused, about to bring that up, yeah, that which caused us to be have our 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 work hours restricted. That's a whole other topic. Yeah. But, um, bottom line is yes, it, 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 you, there will be a, a sentinel event that will occur that will finally bring this to the public eye. But yeah. I, I, I thank agree. you, Nick. You know, I thank you for joining us and, and bringing this this to light. And uh, for all of you, please. Comment, share if you're interested in this discussion, particularly you colleagues. Please, let's collaborate. Let's 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 get this these discussions out in the open. So you know, don't just like us. Just you know, share it. Share it with colleagues so that people can listen in. Throw you know tomatoes at us if they want, but at least let's engage. Yeah, I agree. Thanks for being with us, uh, uh, Dr. Nick Pappas, and I'll see all of you in two weeks. Fixing healthcare from the trenches.